again and welcome to the latest episode of Curving Conversation. It's been another busy month with fabulous shows like Matthew Bourne's The Midnight Bell, Tell Me on a Sunday and of course Darren Brown. Tickets are also selling like hotcakes for two Made at Curve shows, this year's Christmas musical The Chorus Line and next July's brand new production of Billy Elliot. But before we start, make sure you check out everything that's coming up in the latest Curve brochure or go to curveonline.co.uk. In this episode, we're going to meet the English actress, singer, author and songwriter Sue Pollard, who comes to Curve in November, and we'll preview the Newport Arts Nartan Dance Festival with artistic director and producer Smita Vadnakar. But first, this year's Christmas family show is a joyful tale of star-crossed aliens. The Smeds and the Smooths live on stage is an exciting adaptation of the award-winning book by Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler. On a far-off planet, the Smeds and Smooths can't actually be friends. So when a young Smed and Smooth fall in love and zoom off into space together, how will their families get them back? It's an interplanetary adventure. It has music and laughter and much more for everyone aged three and up. In association with Curve, it's a Tall Stories production from the company that brought you The Gruffalo and Room on the Broom live on stage. The director is Toby Mitchell. How are you, Toby? I'm all right, thank you. Recovering from a cold, but it's that time of year. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Tell us a bit about the company, first of all, Tall Stories, because it's come an awful long way since you and Olivia came up with the idea, I think, hasn't it? It's come an awful long way, yes. it's uh, In 24 years, we've, we've come a long way. We just started as a... Uh, an experiment we took a couple of shows to the edinburgh fringe we directed one each olivia and i and they weren't really for family audiences they were just they happened to be based around alice in wonderland and um, the happy prince of oscar wilde but we got people bringing children along and then saying how nice it was to see theater that didn't talk down to their kids so we thought oh that's interesting maybe there's something in that and the next year we came back with two with four shows actually um two for grown-ups and two for children or families then the gruffalo came along <laughs> and when the gruffalo came along so we we read the gruffalo before it was famous and thought that's a good story and uh, let's put that on stage and luckily everyone else thought it was a good story too so that's when we sort of began to specialize a bit more in in theater for families Although even then, we still, to this day, occasionally do shows for teenagers and grown-ups as well. A lot of people may look at a, a book like this and think this is children's theatre, but it's not really. It's family theatre, isn't it? In fact, it's just theatre. It's just theatre. Theatre, yeah, in, in all its forms. We put on shows that we ourselves would like to watch and we hope that other people would like to watch them too. So, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy watching the shows that, that we've created, particularly... I can watch the ones that Olivia has directed and kind of go, ah, what fun, and and vice versa. And the the joy is we make sure the grown-ups are having a good time too. So there's loads of additional levels and things that the grown-ups might get that the kids might not. I think it's benefits are manifold as well in terms of perhaps the first experience that some children may have of going to the theatre, but also for those children who don't necessarily find reading uh, that pleasurable um, or challenging it can open up new areas of literature to them as well and of course the works of Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler are perfect aren't they? They're just such fun to read really. Her rhymes and the way she scans the lines are always such 
uh, they're very clever and funny and fun to read. And then Axel's pictures, of course, are just joyous to look at and joyous to translate into a stage environment as well. So what makes a, an ideal story for you then? What are you looking for when you, you're putting a production like this together? I think you've said the word story and that's it. There are lots of books that we've considered adapting over the years, but if the story isn't strong enough, then we decide we can't put that on stage. So as long as there's a strong story, there's a, there's a character who goes on some kind of journey, either metaphorically or physically journey, then we can make it into a show. And I mentioned very briefly a, a, a very brief synopsis of the Smeds and the Smooths. It's got some important messages in there as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it's basically Romeo and Juliet with aliens and a happy ending. But there's an awful lot of uh, messages about tolerance versus prejudice, about getting on with people no matter what their habits are or what they may look like, and about basically realising that, well, the Smeds and Smooths inhabit the same planet and realising in the end they need to get on, just as we all, all shapes and sizes, inhabit the same planet and we have to get on with each other as well. Yeah, some interesting lessons in life for, for many people, not just for children, I have to say, so everybody can take something away from this. Well, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is children, particularly young children, are way more open-minded than grown-ups. So in some ways, the children reading this book or watching this show will just have fun with the story, whereas hopefully we might get the, the grown-ups to, to think a little bit as well. But having said that, it's not a big serious piece. It's a big silly piece. It's just, as you say, got some underlying, interesting questions. Nevertheless, very entertaining. Lots of music, lots of fun and laughter as well. It must be fun for you. And you're in the rehearsal room at the moment. So how's it going so far? And how, how does that process work for you? Is it really a, a sort of ensemble piece? Does everybody come with their own ideas? Very much so. So to explain briefly, about six months ago, we did our first workshop week where we got a bunch of actors and designers and composers together in a room and uh, came up with some ideas then about three months ago we did another week like that and all these things kind of got notated and written down and then put into a document that kind of says this is where we're heading with this show and then the actors came into the rehearsal room uh, three weeks four weeks ago now with no script and the first three weeks of the rehearsal process was creating a script and then this week has been rehearsing the script and then next week we preview. So it's a long and slightly complicated process, but it's going to plan at the moment, touch wood. And it sounds like great fun, not just for the audiences, but for you as well. It's really good fun. Everyone gets to put their ideas in. The ideas come in all shapes and sizes, some of them brilliant, some of them you kind of try them and go, nah, that's not going to work. But that's part of the fun of, of devising theatre rather than just working with a script that the show in the end is the product of many brains, not just one. And I guess this is a perfect show for Christmas. It's not a Christmas show in the sense of having a Christmas theme, but it, it is about family, for families, at a time of year when families are coming together. And I guess that's what you want, really. You want all the families to come together and see it. That would be lovely, yeah. It's all about, it's all about family, literally. Two families not getting on and then getting on. Um, and it'd be great to have obviously as many people there as possible and of course uh, tall stories is a registered charity how difficult has it been during covid19 for you and how great is it to be back in a rehearsal room and ready to perform again it was really difficult we made we, we lost i was about to say we made a huge loss we lost a lot of money over covid we used the furlough scheme of course but even within that some of our overheads just uh, can't be got back 
we were lucky enough, we moved into our very own um, studio, rehearsal studio, a year ago. So we had that space where we could do, we did a live stream of the Snail and the Whale in October half term last year, and then a live stream of the Gruffalo in December. So we were able to actually create some work during lockdown and they were genuinely live audience could put in suggestions in the text chat so that was really good fun but it's brilliant also to be rehearsing for a real theatre and for real theatres and to be going back on tour again and again this show is in association with curve and it's great for you to be back at curve as well i'd imagine it's a perfect venue for you isn't it of course it's one of our favorite venues we're always welcomed with open arms and we always seem to go down well as well so yeah looking forward to it very much well we're looking forward to it as well it opens at curve on wednesday the 1st of december through until new year's eve friday the 31st of december in the studio it's the smeds and the Smooths live on stage produced by Tall Stories and directed by Toby Mitchell our guest today Toby thank you so much for talking to us thank you very much too Next on Curving Conversation, on Saturday the 13th of November, the annual Nutan Dance Festival returns to Curve with a fabulous evening of Indian classical and contemporary dance. My next guest arrived from India to the UK in 1988 and in 1990 she founded Nupur Arts Dance Academy with just one student. Well, the academy is now a Curve associate and is known as the East Midlands leading South Asian performing arts school with more than 350 students. Here to tell us more about that is artistic director and producer Smita Vadnakar. How are you? Thank you, Martin. I'm fine. Thank you. Listen, so much has happened in 30 years and the Academy has grown beyond recognition, really, hasn't it? I bet when you first started back in 1990, you could never imagine just how much it would grow. That's right. Yes. At at that time, it was just like a new country. Everything was new. So when I started, I was hoping that it would grow, but no idea. No idea. I mean, it's just a successful company now with everybody's hard work and passion. So I think it's really good to see this journey. And the relationship with Curve has been really important as well. In fact, that relationship has been ongoing since Curve opened, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. So this uh, uh, relationship, I mean, we have been associate company uh, of Curve since 2011. But our connection all began at Haymarket Theatre over 30 years ago where we developed relation and, uh, you know, later we were invited to Curve Liftoff 2008. And we came with full circle reopening of Curve Theatre in 2021 after the months of lockdown. So really nice to kind of see that relationship, that working relationship and the connection with Curve from Haymarket to Curve and our journey over the last 30 years. And that relationship is is much more than the uh, festival we're going to talk about in a moment, isn't it? Your relationship with Curve is all 12 months of the year. Yes, definitely. Yes, this is, I mean, uh, Curve has been really supportive with rehearsal space, theatre space, our residency development programme. Uh, Northern series we've been doing from past seven years, but throughout the year we hold our workshops there. We perform for Diwali Day and other events. We do our rehearsals. Uh, we do a lot of choreography work there as well. So it's all uh, Curve is our second home. Throughout the year, we just like use the facility and we get in-kind support from Curve. And uh, it's, it's just fantastic to have uh, amazing venue like Curve and uh, support from them. Well, it's amazing to see the uh, amount of work that you do in all sorts of different areas now. I mean, when you began 
back in 1990, uh, it was more classical dance, wasn't it? Bharatanatyam, Katak and so on. But you do so much more now, don't you? When I started in 1990, it was just a Bharatanatyam school. We used to only teach Bharatanatyam uh, with the examination. We, uh, you know, we uh, connected with examination boards in UK. So for so many years, I think approximately for at least 10 years, it was just 10 to 15 years, in fact, it was just a Bharatanatyam school. Uh, so Indian classical dance and music and eventually we introduced Bollywood dance style which is again very very popular <laughs> amongst uh, young people and senior citizens and everyone so we introduced uh, Bollywood dance and folk dances of India as well so we do variety of folk dances which is nice to share that culture aspect as well introduce that culture aspect to UK audience and to sort of new generation as well. The interesting thing is, you know, some dance schools, some uh, young people's theatre groups uh, say they struggle to get new members sometimes. That's never been the case for you, has it? I mean, the young people have been thronging in to learn both Bollywood and contemporary and the classical dance. Yes, yeah, because we offer a variety of style. We, we do sometimes hip hop and uh, street dance as a workshops. We also do contemporary dance as a workshop. So we always introduce different dance style whether it's a regular classes or workshop format we used to do tap and modern as well so there is always a variety we offer and uh, I personally believe that young people should get more opportunities and young people are our future so if we encourage them to learn different style and give them voice that is very very important give them that freedom and the voice what they would like to learn what they would like to achieve and 10 years ago, in 2011, we actually got youth association, uh, like a sister company of Nupurats. We have a board, we have a committee, and we same again, come to CURT for a lot of work a lot of progressing work and we do leadership program with Kerr quite a lot as well. It is amazing the diversity of stuff that you do these days and obviously last year was very very difficult with uh, COVID-19 lockdowns and so on so the festival couldn't go ahead as it would normally do at Curve but you took that festival online for one year and that now has been nominated for an award hasn't it? During the lockdown we were lucky enough to produce Nathan online series and we had around 30 artists, uh, Indian classical dance and music and Indian folk dance and music. So every week we had uh, online uh, dance performance for audience and this also helped to bring the dance community, music community together more networking uh, opportunities and also supporting each other during this uh, difficult time. So we were lucky enough that we were like funded from uh, Arts Council uh, for this project and uh, supported by Curve and we could support artists through this project. And we had a thing series for like going on for about almost three months mm. online. And we've been, uh, we've been now uh, finalist uh, for Best Asian Media Award finalists for the Best Stage Production. Yeah, well, we have recorded this podcast before the award ceremony, which takes place at the end of October on the 29th. We're keeping our fingers crossed for you. This is quite an accolade. And who knows, 
doing it online might have reached an awful lot of people that wouldn't be able to come along anyway. I know you have a, a sizable online presence anyway, and you do regular YouTube videos and so on, don't you? We do, we do. We're quite active on social media and we have YouTube videos. So, you know, people can visit YouTube, our YouTube link to watch more videos. But I think it has helped Martin to uh, reach global audience. Uh, normally, when we do live shows, of course, you kind of uh, reach more of local audience. But uh, with online dance classes, online workshop, online residencies and the Nartan Festival, I think we reach globally and we made more connections. Uh, we have done more networking and I think it brought community together globally. Uh, so we can see more positive side of this lockdown and think about, OK, how we can build up this future from here. Well, we're absolutely delighted that the uh, Nathan Festival 2021 is back at Curve on the 13th of November. For anybody who hasn't been before, what can they expect if they come along? Yeah, we're very, very happy to be in the theatre performing live in front of the live audience. So that's take place on the 13th of November, Saturday. You will get chance to see Indian classical dance. So we have Odissi, Bharatanatyam, Kathak, and Mohiniyattam, so rich variety of Indian classical dance, well-established artists, all from UK, you will see them. We also had a music festival not too long ago as a part of Northern Festival, we done music separately, and this is the dance event. Well, it's going to be great to see uh, audiences back to enjoy all of the fabulous work that you do, and the future for you is looking good as well, and um, you know, you talked about inspiring young people, you've done that with your own family, your own daughter is a teacher there now, isn't she? She's, she's a teacher, but she's also uh, more than teacher she's uh, literally taking over everything uh, so I could see the bright future uh, with uh, young people coming forward and you know they their passion their new ideas of course new skills they have young people so I'm really really looking forward and I can see that Nupuras is in safe hand well, this year is 30th anniversary, but we also look forward to celebrating 50th anniversary don't in the near me. future. <laughs> Smita, don't tell me that you're calling it a day and passing it all on to your daughter. I can't believe that. Uh, no, no, I'm just uh, trying to take a step back, but I know that will never happen. <laughs> I will probably never retire uh, till, uh, till my last breath because... Uh, it's my passion. It's not my job. I live for dance. I live for dance and music. So, yes, that's for sure. I will never be out of the scene or retire. And this, this actually keeps me going, the, the, you know, like working with the community, working with young people, working with senior citizens and uh, young sort of young children. I mean, we have from age three upwards, we work with uh, international level classical dance artists and music artists. And I think it's just amazing that I'm so lucky to be in this field. And I'm so lucky that I been supported by this vast community well listen we are lucky to have you here in leicester as well you're a real inspiration we wish you all the very best for the asian media awards for nutan online the festival returns to curve on saturday the 13th of november and smita thank you so much for talking to us thank you martin for having me in this program
finally, on this episode of Curving Conversation, let's chat to the English actress, singer, author and songwriter whose career has spanned over 45 years. She's most famous, of course, for the BAFTA award-winning sitcom Heidi High, but she's also appeared in countless other TV shows and sitcoms like Yerang Malord and Oh Dr Beeching. She's recorded albums, had hit singles and starred in countless successes on stage. And in her latest play, Harpy, she gives what Theatre Weekly describes as the performance of her life in this bittersweet dark drama from Fringe First Award winner Philip Meeks. Sue Pollard comes to Curve on Friday the 11th of November and she joins me now. First of all, a up me duck. Oh, a up me duck. Do you know, it's so funny. They say that, don't they, in the East Midlands, which consists of Nottingham, Derby and Leicester. And um, a friend of mine uh, who lives in a little village near Skegness, he's a taxi driver, and he says, hey, the Chiswicks are coming. So I said, well, what's a Chiswick? He says, everybody from Leicester, when they come on holiday, they always go, how much is it? I just think that's hilarious. So I call all my mates from Leicester, the Chiswicks. So I hope they're all coming to the show. So how does it feel to be coming home then? Because you are an East Midlands girl, after all, born and bred in Nottingham, of course. Oh, yes, very much so. It's just, look, it's very comforting because the vowel sounds are the same. I know it sounds weird. They all go, hey, are you doing all right, Doc? And I say, yes, thank you. Because when I first came to London, it was, pardon, what did you say? <laughs> it's really weird because they all talk all like that. Uh, no, so it's quite comforting to be on home territory. And um, I do love Leicester. I've never played Curve, but I've played all the other th- places. And um, Leicester's really, really terrific. And I just think it's a really nice place, Leicester. And it's nearer to London. London than Nottingham is. I didn't realise that. It is, you're right. Just over an hour away from London by train. Now, looking at your career as you do now and all the incredible things that you've done, I wonder if you could have ever imagined you'd have such a career when you started out in the working men's clubs as a singer all those years ago. Well, Martin, I've been very fortunate because I was able to adapt. I mean, I was fortunate enough that I've got a voice, hopefully good enough for musicals for a start. So that was another genre that you can go into. And I've often been of the opinion that, look, you you know what you can't do. Absolutely. Steer clear of the ballet and all that, unless you're doing a camp it up thing. And dancing, I'm not brilliant. I'll just, I can move, but I don't dance. So what you do, you concentrate on your strengths. And anything that I feel that I would be able to adapt to, and it's a good piece, it has to be of good quality. Um, even if I remember being in a, an advert for Typhoo Tea with the dancing donkey, you know, I had false <laughs> legs, of course, it wasn't a proper donkey. And I thought, well, this is fun. This is a bit of camp. This is a way of selling something that's, um, you know, warm spirited. So that's what I stick to. As long as it's good and I can give value for money in what I'm doing, then that's always my mantra, really, VFM. Well, do you know, I don't think there's anything you haven't already done, but this one is slightly different for you the play harpy and your character birdie is a challenging one isn't it and it really does because it's a one-woman show showcase what sue pollard can do it's a tall 
order force, really. So it's basically, she goes through all the emotions. I'll tell you what the title means. Harpy is a mythological bird from way back that used to swoop down and land on people or things and embrace them and take them back to its nest and never got rid of it. So basically, this bird, the, the word harpy is a, is a word for hoarder. And most people or hoarders, I think if you spoke to them at length, they would say that, well, something happened to me when I was younger, very traumatic, something they lost. And the fear of losing something that they like again is very, very real. It's obviously a, a mental health issue, really. But it's just such, I know it sounds awful, but it's quite funny as well. The scrape she gets into and she doesn't take her tablets. And then the social worker doesn't know what to to do with her because she's very rude and swears at him a lot you know because and it's just very funny but sad as well but at the end you you feel through oh birdie her name is actually birdie her real name is bridget but they call her birdie and at the end of it you, you get the sense that it's really hopeful that she might have got some help from somebody and she she can see a way through the tunnel. So it's a very moving piece, actually, and I love doing it. I have great fun with it. And you can, you can hear the audience moving along with this story going, oh, I wonder what she's going to do now. And this poor lady in the audience last week went, oh, poor cow. You know, <laughs> there's no one to laugh, but I had to turn up stage because, you know, <laughs> you want to laugh. But it, it evokes, I think, a lot of memories and for people. But not only that, so many people tell you, oh, that could be my life, you know. I'm a terrible hoarder. So I always say, I've got rid of loads of things since doing this play. I've had something that I just looked at for 30 years, Martin, and went, well, why am I still looking at that? I've had it long enough. And also, don't forget, sadly, when anybody goes, everybody that's left has got to get rid of your stuff because that's all it is, it's stuff. So I say to people, don't feel guilty. Just throw it out or give it to charity. It's a sentimental thing, though, isn't it? We're all hoarders of one description or another because it's just nice to have things around you that mean something to you, isn't it? Oh, yes, I absolutely would agree with that. But that's what I'm saying. The guilt comes in because it's like, well, I mean, this has been so comforting and I wouldn't want to be without it. But, I mean, how often do you say that? How big's your garage? How many rooms have you got at home? So therefore, everybody's porch way. I see it now when I'm going everywhere and it really brings it home to you. You think, blimey, that man's got five bikes. He can't ride five bikes. But then again, it's just having the courage one day to say, oh, do you know, and when I got rid of this particular thing, it was a decanter. And do you know what, Martin? Well, I talk about it as an example, but I've not missed it, dear. I've had it for 30 years, and I mean, it's ridiculous. It's as if I never had it now. So how long do you keep a present? How long do people keep a husband or a wife? It's supposed to be forever, but, you know, they're divorcing two and a half years later. It's ridiculous. The combination of Sue Pollard in this play is fabulous, isn't it? Because your reviews as a performer have been incredible. And, of course, the piece is beautifully written by Philip Meeks. Well, it's exactly as I said earlier, Martin. The thing is, if the piece is good, 
If you're halfway good enough yourself to A, understand the piece, B, get on with it and see it and see it through with a good director, because it's obviously all teamwork. It's the most beautiful thing to have a good, well-written piece and you owe it to the writer to, to give it your very best shot as a creative team. Alex has directed it. Alex done a, a great job. And another Alex, a male Alex, has done a fabulous job with the set. It's... Um, Every single thing on the set you could think of in life is on it. And all, all that's not cluttered is Birdie's chair. Everybody who's a hoarder, in my experience, lives in one piece of the house. And it's usually in the middle of the room. They might have a telly, they might have a chair, and they might have one little ring that they can cook on. It's almost a form of agoraphobia, in a way, as well. So... Philip has highlighted all that, he's had, he's had chats with social workers, doctors, all sorts of people because he wanted to get the facts right. He didn't want to over-egg this play and make it like none of it was true. It's absolutely true. So he's been very, very faithful because it's a very fearful thing being a hoarder and people don't understand and they take the mickey out of them and go and say, have you seen that house full of rubbish? Oh, trust me to live next to it. I'm living next door to a condemned thing. The house prices are going to go down. That's what it says in the play. And it's very true, that is. So people need to be kinder to somebody who's a hoarder because it could have happened to them. So anybody that might know somebody out there that is, do try and be kind if you can because it's horrible. Must be awful to have it year after year, all your life. I know it sounds a bit doom and gloomy, but you know what I mean? Just try and understand it could be you. You're absolutely right. It's a very human story. It's easy for everybody to relate to. The themes are something that we all recognise and it's a fabulous piece. Now, I cannot believe you've never played Curb before and you said that you've been back to Leicester. I know you'd appeared at the Haymarket and so on, but I wonder back in the early days when you were a teenager and you were starting out in the business singing in working men's clubs, did you come to Leicester then? Oh, yes, I think I did. I'd be about, um, I think I was about 17 or 18. And and I did go and visit Curve because I know Janie D's been there quite a few times. She rates it very highly. I think I went to see a show there. But of course, this is the first time I'm going as a performer. So I'm really looking forward to it. And all I want when I get there, Martin, if you can pass this on, <laughs> uh, uh, just a few Yorkshire tea bags, please, and a bit of milk. No sugar. Thank you. No problem at all. I'll pass that on, Sue. Thank you so much for talking to us. And we look forward to seeing you at Curve with Harpy from Friday the 11th of November. And thank you for your time. And hello to Leicester. Bye, everyone. Thank you. And I'm afraid that brings another episode to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe through your favourite podcast app or go to curveonline.co.uk. And I hope you can join me next time because I'll be going behind the scenes in the rehearsal room with Nikolai Foster and the cast of the Made at Curve production of A Chorus Line. Before that, don't forget there are lots of exciting shows at Curve in November, including one of the world's most prolific and most popular authors, Alexander McCall Smith, the award-winning play Who Cares by Matt Woodhead and The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe starring Sam Womack and of course many others. So enjoy all of that and I'll see you next time for more Curving Conversation. Curving Conversation